all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Anna? <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Lucky, lucky dear listeners, you don't have to hear me all day today. <laughs> or all night or whenever you may be listening. Yes. <laughs> I think that was a good episode. No, uh, I think so I too. Mean, horrible it was a thing, but brutal we episode. Know that. <laughs> I'm glad we decided not to release it the week of Thanksgiving just to make yes. people even feel more depressed. Yes. Yes. Con- considering as how <laughs> we should probably stay apart from each other as much as we should this Thanksgiving, which is not what Thanksgiving is about at all. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of a depressing holiday season. We a have little to have bit. an opposite Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> yeah, we have to we have to shoo everybody away. Hopefully, this is very helpful for people who don't like their families. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that, you, have a you know very what? Good it, it's, excuse. It's it's good and bad, isn't it? Yeah. Like I don't have to see my mother-in-law this year. Mm-hmm. That bitch. <laughs> Thanks. She's my mother. <laughs> no, I'm not, I know. I'm not I'm talking about my mother-in-law. <laughs> but um, you know that's how some people are feeling. Yes. Some people are feeling that way about their brothers or their sisters or their dads, and uncles. And how many people have discovered the past year especially what assholes are in their family? Yep. Because the assholes at least crawled out of the woodwork. There are at least out of the woodwork. 70 million families that have one. <laughs> well... Some of them are in the same family. That is true. But you know that they also have kids or maybe people yeah. that didn't vote. or But, yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. No. No, I, thanks. You know how I go through my grandmother's email. She knows. She's She knows because she just doesn't know how to deal with the influx of emails. She gets spam. She gets confused by the links and stuff. So she f- is fully aware that I manage her email. And she has one old woman who likes to... Um, forward because apparently that's still a thing email forwards sure. for old people um well i have and, to forward you, you emails occasionally so well, you can print, print something, something out <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the only time i've ever done it in the last 10 years well this woman likes to share things like about how covid19 is a conspiracy theory i deleted that one yeah because well, there i was are... like no thank you go away what from is, my grandmother we're at two 50, 240? We're at least at 240,000. I think we're close 000. to 250,000 yeah. dead. Yep. Dead let's, a, let's, let's ask them about the conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah, yeah they're dead. Well, so. maybe we can ask Senator Chuck Grassley soon. Maybe. Here's hoping. Well, we can all, we, we can ask uh, Herman Cain. <laughs> we just need a Ouija board. <laughs> So here's the only reason I feel okay saying all this shit, talking all this shit about people who are dead or dying, potentially. We don't know about Grassley. One can only hope, but... And he's pretty rich, so... Here's the problem, yeah. is that their absolute <clears throat> abuse of power has led to the death of thousands. Therefore, if we're literally you know just talking, exchanging one but, for the other, goodbye, Let's save the lives. But that's the sad thing, is that it really hasn't been an abuse of power so much as it has just been an indifference, which I think is worse. For the people who haven't directly been downplaying sure. it, maybe. But even so, for the most part, it's just like, <clears throat> eh. 
No, no, no. I mean the people in power. Who yeah, know. no, I no, I understand. That's but I'm why saying, I'm saying. But I'm saying with influence. But I'm saying the people in power. It's almost they haven't. I don't know. To me, it feels like they haven't gone out of their way to make this terrible. They just haven't done anything, which, which makes is, it worse. Which is, yeah, which is worse. Like, you know, indifference or stupidity. Literally, all Trump had to do, from the earliest known recording that we know that we knew how deadly this thing was, which was on February seventh, all he had to do was wear a mask. That's it. Like, and, you, and you know what? Signal. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He would have won. A second term if he had done just that. He could have done bare minimum and easily and still won the election. Mm-hmm. His own fucking stupidity. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <clears throat> let's move on. On to cheerier things like tragedies. No, this but is not necessary. Set. It's this miracle is, set. It's yes. miracle set. So first, um, With a twist. delayed, uh, follow us to Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at allbadthingspod, email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Uh, also, I am pleased to formally announce, I've floated this on social media, we'll roll it out. Is there a rollout? <laughs> there is now, I guess. Um, this is reminding me of that Shit's Creek episode. There's a Shit's Creek episode about Where rollouts. Where are all the patrons? Where are all the patrons? Well, I am announcing our very first, are we ready? Hold on, I have the formal title. Our first annual All Bad Things Anti-Capitalist Holiday <laughs> Gift Exchange Bonanza. Yay. Love it. So it's it's like a secret Santa. The like people a who gift hate listening to us will love it too. <laughs> yes. Um and so this is this is how it's gonna work, right? So if you want to participate, uh, first of all, anyone can participate from anywhere. Uh, if you want to participate, send me at allbadthingspod at gmail.com your first and last name and mailing address. In other words, what would somebody need to write on a package or, or envelope to get something to you, right? It's Any country is fine. Uh, I'm So you're going to send me your information if you want to participate. That information will only go to one other person, and that is whoever you get randomly assigned as your person to give you a gift. And then, of course, you're going to get back, and this is all going to be done over email, not doing it over messages. Messages. (laughs) Yes. Not doing it over messages. This is all going to be done by email. Um, If for some reason you don't have email, message me so I can help you learn how to set up email, because everybody needs an email address. Uh, You will get back your person that you're going, their information, their mailing a name and mailing address that you're going to send. I mean, everybody knows how this works. I, but anyway, the deadline to submit your information is December 5th. And I'm going to try and get everybody, their recipients information, like within a couple days after that. Um, then try to mail your gift in, within the month of December, um, just to make it kind of timely around surrounding the holiday, general holiday season. Um, But if that doesn't work out, you're delayed for whatever reason, just let me know by email so that like we can make sure that your recipient doesn't feel left out. All right. Now, as for the gift, here's the thing. Your gift can, there's no restrictions. It can be whatever you want, but do note the anti-capitalist in the anti-capitalist gift exchange like, the best thing you can do is give something that says something about you personally. Not something flashy right. or, like, disposable or just going to add junk 
to the environment or whatever. Um, it could be like like a small item that you you really love or find useful and you'd like to share it with someone else. Here, here's an idea. Somebody out there, if they want to, they don't have to, yeah. but they can if they want, make an all bad things mask. <laughs> That's cute. So cute. I like that. Um, or it could... and, and send it to a, a friend. <clears throat> yeah. A uh, anti-capitalist Christmas bonanza friend. Yes. Well, because you, you guys know you have that in common. Yes. <laughs> you have us in common. Uh, it could also be a handmade item or a letter, a card, a Whatever poem. you want. Whatever you want it to be. Literally anything. Yeah. It could be a scrap of paper that says, hi, I like you. Lee, I'll send you, uh, I'll send you a uh, G.I. Joe figure. There was one that was a firefighter. <laughs> oh, it was pretty badass. <laughs> he's, he's probably still in one of those bins somewhere that I have. <laughs> Actually, no, I think, yeah, right. I, think uh, I think Zach has all of those now. Oh. <laughs> But the idea is to share something about yourself. So the gift part of gift exchange means a gesture, a nice gesture, not something materially impressive. That's not the point at all. Also, uh also, if you want it to be materially, materially impressive, go ahead. You can, but make it meaningful, too. Sure. Yeah. Um, make your gift appropriate, please. Nothing inappropriately. I'm looking at you. No. <laughs> I just say that because of all his memes. <laughs> yes. Essentially, if it's possible for something to be construed, easily construed as offensive, like just, just leave that for your close friends and family. Um, if you want to participate, but you can't afford postage, like you're like, okay, well I can't afford a gift, but I like a, a, a object but i can like write a letter or something but i'm struggling to cover postage let us know we'll help out um this is meant to be fun not a drag not a stress just a way to reach out with a little gesture and get a little gesture back a nice gesture not a middle finger (laughs) (laughs) so if you feel like you need to back out no problem please just let us know we'll take care of your recipient And hopefully this is super, super obvious, but just in case, please use your recipient's mailing address and name one time and one time only to send this gesture, unless you have their express permission to continue sending anything else. We respect boundaries in the anti-capitalist gift exchange bonanza. All right, that took some time. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's going to be fun. I do too. Should we each participate? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yay. Somebody's going to get us. And we're going to get somebody. Yes. Yay. That'll be fun. (laughs) All right. Mm. What you drinking? I am having the finest national local beer on the market. Yes. Make it a Miller. What are you having? It's Miller time. It is. Um, I am having uh, whiskey, whiskey, and soda. And it is good whiskey it is good whiskey so this is from top of the hill topo distillery uh which is in chapel hill Mm. we uh like going there every valentine's day we did get to go this year probably not going next year probably not going next year no it does not look um and this is their moonshine carolina whiskey it's a white whiskey it's it's very good it is delicious the first time we had it was there yes because they Uh obviously they have all their stuff there i really like ghost whiskey yeah but i remember the bartender recommending it saying hey do you like whiskey and i I was like "Eh, not really but he's like it's a white whiskey and it's he's like it's pretty good i was like all right and then i was like "Mm." Mm mmm. like this is pretty damn good 
That's good. Some good old some good old Carolina moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> Carolina whiskey. This is I this know. is forty two percent. It no. is not moonshine. They call a lot of things around here moonshine <laughs> yeah. simply just for the name. So, well we so have people, had actual homemade moonshine. Yes, I've had it on several occasions. Yes. It's not something you play around with. No, but it's good. If made well, be. it can be very good. And we had it made by somebody who's in this a scientific field, correct? Yes. So okay. <laughs> yeah, he knew what he was doing. Yes. <laughs> and gee, what do you know? It turned out to actually I was like Wow, this is actually pretty good. It was good. It was very smooth considering it's alcohol mm-hmm. content. <laughs> All right. So I think we said this last week that because um, <laughs> we did have a Thanksgiving themed episode last week. The uh, big that, 1900. That, that I I think was the right decision not to release the week of Thanksgiving. It was a super it bummer. It would have had about five listens if yeah. we did. So we're going miracle sode. Yes. For Which Thanksgiving. We, we need. And a miracle sewed like the Arizona Cardinals pulled off. <laughs> the Hail Mary heard round uh, the... That, that would be called the Hail Murray. <laughs> Why because the quarterback who threw it <laughs> was Kyler Murray. Against my, against, against my bills. And were you proud of me that I didn't get too there upset? Ch- there were children around. There were. And, and you managed to keep your cursing at a low volume when they were in another room. So Yeah, well, that's a that's progress. Yeah, I or think Or progress, so. as the Canadians progress. would say. Progress. Progress. But uh, the hell of a game, and I've, I've seen that photo, like the the uh, zoom-in photo of eight hands in the air, six of them being on one team, two of them <laughs> being on, and it's the other team that caught the ball. So it's he just, just like, dropped it right in. Right in. Well, it wouldn't have mattered if it was an interception at that point. Or or an incomplete pass. I mean, yeah. No. He just had to. He had to catch it. That's the whole point of a Hail Mary. Yes. <laughs> or a Hail Murray. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cute. So I... What? You no, paused like you're going to say something. <laughs> I don't want to like, go off on go. another rant. Yeah. Um, We're seven and three at the break. Exactly where I thought we'd be, to be honest. Any Anything else? No, that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um i was looking at our suggestions of miracle soaps and elena uh one of our uh, loyal listeners who helped out with greek pronunciation yes mm-hmm. uh in the helios episode had a, a suggestion for a miracle soap and i looked into it and i had never heard of this before most of our Frankly, most of our disasters I've never heard no. of before. Mm-mm. Our listeners are more familiar with these disasters yes, they are. than I am. So, um, especially especially the plane ones. I know you guys like air disasters. Yeah, Still we... don't know why, but okay. I don't so much. That much. <laughs> um, Anymore. So, I looked into it, and it so oddly parallels our Helios episode recently, which we did for Halloween. So I thought as a nice companion piece for Thanksgiving that we would cover the story of British Airways Flight 5390. Thanksgiving Damn. miracle set. Another plane crash. Well, another plane or incident. Or is it? Okay. So I am going to let this unfold just like the Helios episode, okay? So I am not going to... I think I attempted. I think I attempted to do that with uh, the 1900 big game disaster. I don't know if it turned out to be dramatic or not. I think it worked. No, okay, it worked. I thought that was a good episode. Um, I'll I'll cite the sources at the end because it will be f- more interesting at the end. Anyway, we'll get okay. to that. All right. 
Our story begins. Well, it is, it is a miracle soda after all, so it should be more interesting at the end. Yes. Not, not, not tragic. <laughs> Our story begins in the wee hours of Saturday, June 9th, 1990, in Birmingham, England, home of, can you name any oh, famous? Uh, oh, Ozzy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. From Birmingham. There's got to be There's other... a lot of famous people. Yeah. There's two others. I just picked out two others. Felicity Jones. Oh, Wasn't okay. Wasn't she in... Uh, she was in Star Rogue Wars Rogue One. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Neville Chamberlain, former Oh, really? Prime yes. Yes. Prime Minister during World War Two. Mm-hmm. Or... Yes, during when the World end War Two broke out. Yes. Was it, wait? Was no. it at the beginning or at the end? No, at the beginning. beginning. Okay, gotcha. Because in the middle, it was uh, the other British guy who's Churchill. Name I, yes, that, <laughs> that one. The other, you know, the other British guy. If someone says, "Quick, name a British prime minister," who would be the first person? Coming? Churchill. But I just. Yeah. I would say it'd be either that or Thatcher. I would. I would. You know what? I would probably say Thatcher first. Yeah. And then I'd probably come up with, like, David Cameron. Yeah, because he was Boris recent. Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson is current. Is it Johnson or Johnston? Mm-hmm. Johnson. Johnson. Okay. My apologies to our UK listeners that I didn't even know your prime minister's exact <laughs> Well, no, name. that might be that might be a bad... Like, like we don't want to know. Yeah, him. I know people aren't super fond of him. Anyway, so the exact location in Birmingham of this disaster is the maintenance facility for British Airways in Birmingham. In charge of the maintenance crew that night was an individual only referred to in any source material I could find as shift maintenance manager, using he, him pronouns. So, because this is a miracle sewed, and because I under we will come to understand why he is unnamed in source mm-hmm. documentation, I thought it would be funner to uh, assign him a name. <laughs> so I used a random character generator name website and got a really great result so here's what we're this is not his name like almost definitely this is not his name but we are going to heretofore refer to shift maintenance manager as gomer wilkins okay okay gomer wilkins uh so gomer wilkins what uh, which is not his name was a former royal air force man he served in the raf for 10 years and then after that, he joined British Airways, where he had been there. He had been for 23 years by the time of our story. He's an engineer, basically. He was well-liked, respected by his fellow British Airways employees, and had received commendations from the company. So, up there, right? And he was a supervisor. <clears throat> yeah, he's got some clout. Yeah. So in the British Airways maintenance facility where Gomer Wilkins was running the show overnight, they were in charge of maintenance and service on, among other aircraft, the airline's fleet of 13 British Aircraft Corporation 111s, or BAC 111s. Okay. So it's a model of aircraft with a capacity of about 80 passengers. It's designed to be a short-range jet, so not like for transatlantic flights or anything. Um, it was cl- known colloquially as the Jeep of the Skies because oh, it was like okay. a workhorse. Sure. It. Uh, that, that was the idea. So the BAC 111s had a schedule with British Airways uh, in Birmingham where they would typically fly out in the mornings between like 6.30 and 7.30 a.m. local time. So, and especially this time of year in June, it was like for people going on holiday. They would go to Spain or they would go to the continent basically from, from England. So for that reason, because these were typically morning flights, the uh, the planes were typically serviced overnight 
and it was really normal for those working overnights to be dealing with these planes. A lot of time this led to a lot of work to be done by the night crew. I mean, that just makes sense. There's fewer flights at night, so more planes are in at night and needing to be serviced to go back out the next morning, right? And the crew, the Birmingham crew, took pride in getting through their workload and not leaving anything for the next shift. Kind of to an obnoxious level, to, like to the point where the management at the facility had to, on multiple occasions, tell them, like, look, don't worry about rushing through stuff. Like, get it done right. It's okay if it bleeds over into the next shift. Um, in other words, don't rush and fuck something up. Uh, So in something quite familiar to you, David, Hmm. not everyone on the night crew was permanently on nights. The facility was open 24-7, so they had a 35-day, five-shift rotating schedule for most of the crew, which included a foreman, the shift maintenance manager is the foreman, and a crew of about seven people. I printed this out (laughs) for you to see if you can make heads or tails of. Sure. This is from an appendix of the investigation report of this incident that shows the rotating mm-hmm. schedules. Yeah. I can't read it, but... <laughs> well, I mean, these are all the, the times and military time, Yeah, obviously. but are these the same... These are these are crews that are overlapping here and here. Mm. That's, what these, that's what this is. Oh, I get it. So they yeah. were working like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then off this many Yeah, days? and then you have this crew coming in to relieve them. Okay. Here and here. And here and right here. Or does this go side by side? It might. It probably does actually. Yeah, but that's yeah, what that, that's what that is. It's showing. It's showing oh. the. It's showing the shift change. Okay. Yeah. All right. But five shifts. I know seems that's crazy. It's that's uh because every that's week you're you're sw- every switching. five hours essentially, if you're doing five shifts in a twenty-four oh, well, hour day. Oh well, yes, yes, but um. But then as a person on this rotating shift... That's, that's a little too wonky. That's, like, that's uh, a lot to keep track of. My dad, when the, the entire time I was a kid growing up, well, his entire adult life, mm-hmm. worked on a three-shift rotating shift. But it, they were separated three weeks at a time. Mm. Like he had... It was eight o'clock. He'd work that for three weeks. Then would have, like I think, like four shift. days off in between. Then okay. would go on to four o'clock, three weeks, have mm-hmm. four days off, and then go to midnights. Okay. And that's what he did his, his entire... I don't, I don't know how he did it. I, I know, really don't. Um, my grandpa worked 24-hour shifts. I know that's really common with, like, firefighters mm-hmm. and maybe cops yeah. to an extent. And doctors, too. Like, yes. ER people. Yes. Yeah. Med students mm-hmm. typically have to work, like, 48-hour shifts or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bizarre, but... I can't imagine doing it. There's no, no, there's no fucking way. No way. There's no way. Switching I, switching between midnights yeah. and days. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, you did that for, for a, a little while. over a year. That was that was enough. <laughs> it's just so bad for your body. Well, like, it's just uh, you're just like when you wake up, you're somewhat confused. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, mm-hmm. you can just look right at your phone and it'll tell you everything. Yeah. But but you're initially like, okay, what day is it? Mm-hmm. What's the date? Mm-hmm. Like dates are kind of out the window. <laughs> Irrelevant. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Is it five o'clock in the morning? Is it five o'clock in the afternoon? Mm-hmm. What the fuck is going on? And then that that goes that goes in your brain for about like the first five seconds you're awake, and then you just look at your phone. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
So there are these like crews of eight, essentially, right? But then there were also permanent night shift workers. There were four people um, working Monday through Friday, or it was Sunday, Sunday night through Thursday night, from what I could gather, overnights. But then they had off over the weekend. So if you were on the rotating shift and mm-hmm. you got nights on the weekend, you didn't have those four people. I mean, I see what they're trying to do with mm-hmm. really short shifts like that. But at the same time, that... I think it's just easier and probably better for your body if you just switch that to three eight-hour shifts, mm-hmm. not five four-hour right. and 50-minute shifts right. or yeah. you know, whatever that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so on weekends, not only were they down for people from the week mm-hmm. on overnights, but then obviously any given time, maybe somebody called out sick, maybe there's PTO. This is in the middle of the summer where it's popular for people to go on vacation well that's what everybody that's why they're having to work these shifts mm-hmm. yeah everybody's, exactly. everybody's getting off the island for a little bit yeah so on the night of june 8th to the 9th gomer wilkins was overseeing a crew of four engineers that was it five people out of what is typically like during the week closer to 12 yeah they that's were, not like, even down half that's not even close and enough. busy because yeah, all these planes they're, were they're at like 35 percent capacity yeah. which yeah. is with a huge workload That's not good. So Gomer's shift started at 10.30 p.m. local time that night, but he arrived 45 minutes early to do some admin work on his circa 1990 computer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd love to see. He had been on leave for the previous five weeks. This was his first night back at work in five weeks. I, I couldn't find an explanation of why. He may have been on holiday himself, or maybe he was on medical leave or something, but this was his first night back at work. He had slept normal overnight sleeping hours, so Thursday night into Friday morning, mm-hmm. then took about a 90-minute nap that evening, and then went into work. He would later say that he felt perfectly fine and well-rested. So as he was at work, he looked over his cruise to-do list for that shift, and it included three major repairs, multiple routine maintenance items, and a few minor repairs. This was a busy night, skeleton crew. Uh, Gomer caught up on paperwork while on his lunch break. He had sandwiches, just in case anyone's interested. Sandwiches. One of the planes that needed service that night was one of those 13 BAC-111s, registered as GBJRT. The plane was not scheduled for a flight that morning, um, so Saturday morning, because remember I said these typically leave between 6.30 and 7.30 a.m. So it was an option for Gomer to leave this plane to the morning crew. It's like, and remember, management had said, if you can't handle the workload, no big deal. You're at you're at a third of your capacity. Exactly. So if you need to leave something behind, I mean, yeah. Yes. But at yes. the same time, those guys just think, well, I've got to get it done. But Gomer decided to, against doing that for this repair because he knew that the day shift was also running low on personnel because it was a weekend. Yeah. And he decided to push through and do the repair himself. Now, this was not typical. Mm -hmm. Typically, he's the one overseeing everything, and it's all the engineers below him who are doing the actual work. So the repair he would carry out was on the windshield, and I'm going to flip-flop the the terms windshield and windscreen. Same thing, right? Sure. Uh, They needed to replace the windshield on the pilot's side of the cockpit. 
and he ended up starting this repair around 3 a.m. So because he was a supervisor, it had been a couple years since he had carried out such a routine procedure, routine maintenance thing item. Uh, so he took a gl- what was later described as a glance at the maintenance manual for the plane to refresh his memory. And then everything seemed like pretty straightforward, nothing he couldn't handle, so he got to it. As he was removing the, the, wind, the old windscreen, he noticed that the bolts that held down the windscreen, most of them had really heavy corrosion. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want to reuse them. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, so he decided to replace 84 out of the 90 bolts that were holding down the windscreen. So he kept six of them that he thought were in good enough shape and decided to replace the rest. So, um, so he, he removed these bolts and these were a two eleven seventy bolts. Mm-hmm. This will all come into play later. Uh, so he went hunting for more parts, uh, for more bolts. He looked in the storeroom at the facility where they would normally be and just found a handful. So he went looking in another part of the facility, um, but he struggled reading the labels showing the names of the parts that were in different bins because the area was poorly lit and he wasn't wearing his reading glasses, which he would typically wear to look at something a little more closely. So he made the choice to match these bolts by eyeballing them that's just <laughs> i mean i, I, know, I, I know i know <laughs> i know this is like everyday work for this guy and, mm-hmm. and like to us it's like oh my god but he's just like i've done it before what the fuck he's like this no is, big deal it's only an eighth of an inch off it won't, won't make a difference at all <laughs> well or more likely he had been working for this company for over 20 years it's like i can i know the difference between these bolts i've done it plenty of times at my job but I didn't have a uh, hundred and some, you know, hundreds of people's lives in my hand. I was like, I literally just had like, I, I know this is still going to pass and it's okay. But what makes you think things okay. are going to go bad, David? I, I don't understand. Because this, is a, because this is a, this is a, this is a podcast program known <laughs> as All Bad Things. All Bad Things. So I just know it's yes. going to go bad. So he looked through... All these little bolts, found one. He's like, there we go. Like, Here's the do. one. Here's the one. That doesn't um, and quite fit. I'll just get it in there. Grabbed him and moved, moved along. So he took all the bolts back to the plane, got back up on the lift that raised him up to the windshield. Now, the lift he was using gave him access to the windshield, but only by like an awkward stretch over the nose of the plane. Uh, and that made his job a little trickier. He had a tough time getting the screws in because of this. Uh, but eventually, he secured the new windshield in with ni- these 90 bolts, and that was it. Normally, a supervisor would check the work, but Gomer was the supervisor. So there was no one to check his work. And they went about their night of work. Okay. So. Probably why you don't want a skeleton crew when you're you're dealing with airplanes on a busy weekend. The plane known as GBJRT did not fly at all on Saturday, June 9th, and then it geared up for its departure early Sunday morning, June 10th, 1990. So the flight was British Airways flight for 5390. It would depart with 81 passengers and six crew members headed from Birmingham to Malaga, Spain 
which is a, like a holiday destination in southern Spain, not far from Gibraltar. Oh, okay. The captain of the flight was 42-year-old Tim Lancaster. Now, I unfortunately, I... Oh, no, actually, this one is... That sounds like the name of a pilot. A British pilot. Yeah, Tim Lancaster. Tim Lancaster. Right? Yes. So that's Tim and his wife, Margaret. He looks like if uh, Steve Carell was British. He looks like a character (laughs) actor, doesn't he? He He looks like a character actor. He looks like Steve Carell to me. We're going to have to put that picture up. He looks like a character actor of a friendly pilot. He does. It's kind of cute. Named uh, Tim... Tim Lancaster. Tim Lancaster. Yes. I'll be flying you through the Straits of Gibraltar. (laughs) I don't... Yeah, that was probably not a good act. I I apologize, (laughs) our UK listeners. Tim was an experienced pilot with over 11,000 total flight hours, about 1,000 of which were on this model of plane, the BAC-111. He was a smaller guy, around 5'4", so 5 feet 4 inches tall, about 155 pounds. I would not typically point out the size of a person, but we will see why this will come into play. I'm sure it comes into play, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was joined by four flight attendants, and these were people he had worked with frequently over the years. They were kind of pals. They knew each other. They had flown uh, together a lot. They had a good rapport. They did, yes. So these flight attendants were John Heward, Nigel Ogden, Sue Prince, and Simon Rogers. So the only person new on the scene to the rest of the crew was the co-pilot, 39-year-old Alistair Acheson. So Atchison had similar flight hours as Lancaster on the BAC-111. He had about 1,000 hours, too, with a grand total of 7,500 hours of flight time. The plane was set to depart around 7.20 a.m. local time, but it was delayed a bit on the on the runway. The flight attendants, like, you know, kept people happy on the tarmac while they were waiting on the delay um, until finally Tim, I'm going to call him Tim, uh because we're going to get really friendly with him, made an announcement over the plane's PA. He said, quote, You'll be pleased to know the weather is sunny and dry in Mal- Malaga, and we should be on our way shortly. End quote. So soon thereafter, at 8.20 a.m. local time, Flight 5390 took off without incident under the guidance of co-pilot Atchison. The plane was assigned a cruising altitude of uh, 23,000 feet and was going up just fine? No problem. The captain released his shoulder harness, loosened his lap belt a bit. The cabin crew started preparing for meal service. Remember, this is 1990. Sure. And they were doing things like giving you free Like silverware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Something aside from those tiny little bags of, yeah. uh, or the little uh, Biscoff crackers. I kind of like those. <clears throat> the Biscoff biscuits, you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Yeah. I kind of like those. And they're vegan, so that's nice. There you go. Bonus. So, a re- um... At 8.33 a.m., flying at an altitude of 17,300 feet, 13 minutes into the flight, steward Nigel Ogden entered the cockpit and asked, and I'm in my head, it's like in in the most British way possible, (laughs) if either pilot would like a spot of tea. (laughs) He literally asked them if they wanted tea. Would you like a spot of tea, love? (laughs) So after receiving their responses, Nigel turned around, began closing the cockpit door behind him as he was returning back to the cabin. With his hand still on the lever, the handle of the door, everyone in the plane heard a massive explosion come from the cockpit. The door was ripped out of Nigel's hand and flew 
and hit the console, the center center console. A thick, intense fog filled the cabin and then quickly dissipated. Then the plane started diving. Uh, no. Oh, this gets so much better. I, no. Yeah. Nigel was convinced that a bomb went off. Yeah, I mean, right? Sure. Huge explosion. Smoke. What so could have been smoke. Yeah, and yeah, plane bombings were still kind of a thing by, by 1990. Not as much as they were in the... They're the 70s than we are exactly. now. Exactly. Say that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's not... Yeah. So Nigel spun around and looked into the cockpit where he witnessed an extraordinary sight. The sound they had heard was no bomb. It was the pilot's windshield popping off completely from the plane, resulting in rapid decompression of the entire aircraft. I feel like this is the thing that kids think about. Like, what if somebody opened the door of the plane, the exit door, right? This, This would be the result. Are you ready for this? The force of the decompression had pulled poor Captain Tim headfirst out of the plane through the space left by the now absent windshield. Fortunately for Tim, who needed something to go his way for sure, his knees had caught on the controls on the console in front of him. Because this was the only thing keeping him from being sucked, sucked out of the plane, out of a plane at seventeen thousand three hundred feet, and surely plummeting to his demise. Oh, he would have been dead long before that. I mean, when you're that high up in the air, he would have died of hypothermia. The door Nigel had just been closing, oh, as I other said. Things. Yeah, the the door that he. The door that Nigel... See, I'm the one who interrupts, right? <laughs> the door Nigel had just been closing, which had been ripped from his hinges in the decompression, like I said, had flung itself against the center console, blocking access to the throttle. Further, poor t- And I'm just going to keep calling him poor Tim. How the fuck? Like, poor oh Tim's legs were jammed onto the controls and disengaged the autopilot. Sure. That's why it That's was why plummeting. it's descending, yeah. Both of these circumstances resulted in the now rapid and uncontrolled descent of Flight 5390. Yeah. Holy fuck. Can you imagine having your head sticking out of a fucking airplane? Your entire at, upper half. At, waist up, sir. At 18,000 feet. And just like... Uh, I hope somebody grabs me. Well, let's read on. Reacting quickly... Nigel, who was a former rugby player, plunged forward into the cockpit and grabbed Tim around the waist. Like good tackle. Yeah. It's good form tackle. Nigel could see Tim's shirt had been completely ripped from his body by the force of the Probably his eyebrows too. And the plane was plunging down at a speed of around four hundred miles per hour, or six hundred and fifty kilometers per hour. Now here's the problem. Tim wasn't the only thing being sucked out of the front windshield. Just about every item in the cockpit and some items from the cabin were being vacuumed in towards the frame of sure. the windscreen. And hitting him and... Nigel okay. was almost beamed in the head by an oxygen canister oh. that had been ripped from its bolts sure. from the wall by the force of the pressure. 
Nigel soon felt himself getting pulled in through the hole that had been left by the windshield. Oh my fucking god. This is like a fucking action movie. Fortunately, we have to keep going. (laughs) Fortunately for Nigel, his fellow flight attendant, John Heward, had rushed into the cockpit. Seeing the terrifying scene, John grabbed Nigel by the belt, pulled him back enough to strap Nigel into the captain's harness. Good, Like keeping him in place, right? Fortunately for everyone, co-pilot Alistair Atchison had never released his shoulder harness. Otherwise, he would have gotten sucked out and the plane would have been left with exactly zero pilots. Oh my god. So the plane was spiraling down completely without control. Lesson learned at the end. Never release your shoulder harnesses if you're a fucking pilot. Yes. (laughs) I don't care if you want a spot of tea. (laughs) So the plane was spiraling down without control. Very quickly, though, the nosedive brought the plane back to an altitude where the pressure in the aircraft and the pressure in the atmosphere leveled out. That actually makes sense. Yes. Unfortunately, they're still going down. This resulted in poor Tim being then pinned against the front of the plane. So he had gone from like being like outstretched and then whap back onto the the back of the front or the front of the plane. But he's still alive. Yeah, it's a miracle. So yes, he is. Okay. Uh, And also, a miniature tornado of debris was being kicked up inside the cockpit. Oh, God. Yeah. So, imagine this scene. There is... Oh, I'm imagining it. Yeah. Three (laughs) flight attendants... No, two flight attendants in there. A pilot halfway out the the windshield. One co-pilot Hanging on to him. Yeah, right. There's the... the, uh, there's the flight attendant hanging yeah, out. Yeah, oh, I can but see there's this. this. There's this co I'm visualizing this in my head. Oh, there's a whole reenactment on Mayday, apparently. I did not watch it. Because I wanted to... <laughs> probably I wanted the visual. I wanted the visual, like, um, in my imagination. So, with all of this going on, like, literally with two flight attendants in there trying to stop Tim from being sucked out to his death... Alistair tried desperately to radio air traffic control. He was like, mayday, 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 mayday. But he couldn't hear anything because it was so damn loud in that cockpit. Sure. But he has to still keep calling out just in case they hear him. Right. Yeah. I mean, he did what he was supposed Mm -hmm. to do. Now, soon a third flight attendant, Simon Rogers, (laughs) made his way to the cockpit from the cabin. Like, what the fuck is going on up here? He and Sue Prince had been in the cabin instructing passengers to buckle up, trying to keep them calm, trying to keep them reassured. Keep in mind, there is no door on the cockpit. People in the front of the plane can can see their pilot halfway out the window. Some of them can. The other ones can just hear screaming. Probably that, and probably like nothing but rushing, screaming air. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Yep. Fuck this flight. Simon Rogers managed to assess the situation. He was able to pry the door away from the console, so now Alistair had access to the throttle, which is what they need to get to. Simon also disentangled Tim's legs from the autopilot, and now Alistair could, was, was going to be able to turn is, that back is, on. Which is also one of the things keeping him in the plane. Like, sorry, we're going to have to let you go so we can 
<laughs> so I could get this thing back together. So flying without radio communication, Alistair had to think quickly of how to both prevent the plane from crashing into the ground and other aircraft because they were in congested airspace. Oh, sure. Yeah. At an uncontrolled altitude. Yeah. So anything was possible. He realized... Uh, that they were going to need to get the plane down to an altitude where they could get more oxygen into the decompressed cabin. Otherwise, none of them would make it very long. And then once they succeeded doing that, they needed to land. Well, that's the idea. So yes. he gained control of the plane's descent and accelerated because he had access to the throttle now. He accelerated to get the plane down quick to 11,000 feet in a matter of two minutes before slowing down to a speed closer to about 250 miles per hour or 400 kilometers per hour. God. So as Alistair was working solo, literally flying solo and blind under incredibly chaotic conditions to get them down to that altitude, the three flight attendants knew that they would have to keep hanging on to Tim for the time being, but that (laughs) wasn't sustainable for Nigel to do much longer. So even though he was in good shape, that was no match for the cold air. He was starting to get frostbite. Oh, yeah. And his arms were getting heavily bruised. Uh, so it was estimated that the coldest temperatures endured by the flight crew during this was around negative 17 Celsius, which is just about zero. That's pretty Fahrenheit. fucking cold. Nigel would later state he could feel his arms, quote, being pulled out of their sockets, end quote. Yeah. As he fatigued, he felt Tim's legs slip slightly Mm. nigel was able to hang on but now poor tim had slipped into a position where he was wrapped around the side of the plane his face repeatedly banging against the side window of the cockpit i wonder how they did that recreation on uh (laughs) or if they skip or if they skip that part it is not funny and yet it is funny. Yes, it it's is. awful. It's horror. It's so morbid. If this was, if I did not know that this was a miracle right. soda, I would not be laughing. No way. <laughs> but. No way. So all four men now in the cockpit had to witness the horrific sight of their captain having his face hit against the window and bleeding. Like his yeah. nose was starting to bleed, uh, yeah. his face was starting to bleed. In Nigel's Concussed for yeah. fucking damn sure. Listen to this. In Nigel's words, quote. Most terror. Listen, listen, listen. Most terrifyingly, his eyes were wide open. I'll never forget that sight as long as I live. Fuck, I bet not. Because that's the only time anybody in history has ever seen that sight. Like, what is it? What 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 do your eyes look like when you're halfway sucked out of a plane and keep getting banged against the side window at thousands of feet in the air? Posited nobody ever. Oh, oh, it looks like this. Yeah. And only one guy knows what it looks like. Can you fucking imagine? (laughs) No. Being anybody in this situation. No. Even a passenger. Oh, God. That's, yeah. Because they have no clue what's going on. Except for the ones in the front who are like, wait, what? That's our fucking pilot. Yeah. I mean, at least then you're somewhat like, okay, well, at least I know what's happening. <laughs> but you wouldn't <laughs> our want to know Our pilot's on. getting sucked out of the plane, and three people are desperately trying mm. to hold on to him. As his face is getting, like, bounced Bashed like a basketball. Against, oh, my God. Against the side of the plane. Do you see why I call him poor Tim now? Yes. This is horrible. No human should Oh, and we might this. need to let him go anyway just to get back to the autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck? Simon was able to relieve Nigel, 
by strapping himself into the third pilot seat. So Simon was relieving Nigel, right? And he found a way to do it where he hooked poor Tim's feet over the back of the captain's chair and used that to anchor him and then held on to his ankles. So now they're holding this poor guy by his oh, literal dude. And ankles. He's, and he's getting stretched. He's going to be like six feet tall when he gets done with this. This is where it comes into play that he's 5'4 and 155 pounds. Yeah. If this were like some 6'2", two, two Like surfer guy, pounds, yeah, he was mm. sucked out of the plane immediately. Nobody could have held on to him. No. Because with the, I read that with the, um, the force... It was roughly equivalent to them holding on to 500 pounds to hold oh, on to I'm, this I'm 150 pounds. I'm surprised that's all it was. Yeah. yeah. So, so if he had been any bigger, it probably would not have been yeah. possible. Yeah. Like, I realized in our brief time in San Diego why every uh, male there is 6'1, 180 pounds with like 0% body fat because they, sur- they surf all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there are conflicting reports. As to what everyone else in the cockpit thought of Tim's condition. So according to Nigel, someone, and he would not identify who, which is probably good, said, we're going to have to let him go. Meaning, like, we have to we have to just let go of him. We can't sustain it. It's this. all of us or it's just him? Um, according to Nigel, he himself refused, saying later, this is quite an, a statement, quote, I wouldn't be able to face his family handing them a matchbox and saying, this is what is left of your husband. Now, according to another source, all of the flight attendants thought Tim was already dead, but it was Alistair who told them to keep hanging on to him. At any rate, both views are understandable, thinking like, guys, we have to address the 81 passengers and get them and that, back safe. That's our number that one is their, It is. That is their mm-hmm. number one. They are... To a degree, mm-hmm. and I think they all realize this. They are, to a degree, somewhat. They're responsible for the lives of the people, and they're the and they're somewhat disposable. To if it has to come to that, if because if you're, somebody has to be lost, it's probably going to be the guy hanging, literally being hung on to by his ankles, banging against the window. You know, the captain goes down with the ship. As it yeah. is, they're pretty sure he's dead. Yeah. So, but at any rate, they didn't let go. They kept hanging on. I was going to feel really bad for making fun of his situation if they had let him go. Yeah, that you would have felt like, like shit, felt wouldn't you? <laughs> so at any rate... Thank you for... <laughs> to letting you know ahead of time. <laughs> well, I mean, just, just that it's a miracle so okay. Everyone survives, spoiler alert. So Yeah, okay, I like that one. Now relieved of Tim clinging duties... Nigel made his way back to the cabin and took a, like, just sat down for a hot second, which I don't blame him for. Fucking couple deep breaths. The fourth flight attendant, Sue Prince, who had been alone this entire time with all 81 passengers, trying not to lose her shit and trying to keep them from losing theirs, like, went up to him. (laughs) And the eyes of all of the passengers were literally on them. Uh, Some of them with a complete bird's eye view of poor Tim's predicament. (laughs) Alistair got on the plane's PA system, told the passengers what happened, and that they would be preparing for an emergency landing. And then Nigel and Sue got up and worked to secure the cabin. The professionalism give them give Give them the best case scenario. This is the best thing that is going to happen to us from here on out. We make an emergency landing. Well, the thing... I mean, I think, like, the number one uh, 
principle of being on a flight crew is if you panic, everyone's going to panic. Exactly. You cannot remember, lose your cool. Remember Bob's story about what he, when he was on that plane to get the wing got hit by lightning and he saw one of the oh. flight attendants crying? I'd be like, yes. I'd be like, I'd be like, I would have lost my shit. Yes. Uh-huh. I was like, when the flight attendants get told That's to sit good. down, yeah. I get nervous because mm-hmm. we all know what's coming. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a. Little some bumps. These are strong, hardened professional people. Yeah, so yeah you, we don't want to see them break down. No, that takes a lot from them, though. Think well, about yes, it. it does. Of course, it does. So back in the cockpit, Alistair was working with zero reference material. All the manuals, the maps, the charts, everything had been vacuumed out the front sure. windshield. He had no frame of reference. Fortunately. Things in the cockpit had quieted down enough that now he could hear air traffic control. So he was able to communicate with them. And he was directed towards Southampton Airport in southern England, almost due directly south of Birmingham. Yeah, they just need to get this plane on the ground. Exactly. Um, They're like, hey, you're going to land at Southampton. There was um, one source said that he was like, hey, can I land at this airport instead? Because... He, he was much more familiar with that airport than Southampton. They're like, look, this is what we got. And he was like, okay. And he's like, can I have at least 2,400 meters, I think it was meters, uh, to land? Sure. And they're like, we can give you 1,800. <laughs> and so he's like, okay. So poor guy was just like, can you give Still me bargaining anything? <laughs> with a guy's face bouncing off a windshield. And they're like, well, here's what we like, can give you. they're like, no, not exactly. But how's this? <laughs> So Simon continued to hold on to poor Tim's presumed dead ankles, but at an altitude of around 3,000 feet, he was heartened when Tim began kicking his legs. So now there's evidence that they made the right choice by holding on to him, that he was actually alive. Under the most extraordinary circumstances, with his captain still being held onto by the ankles and literally flapping in the wind, Alistair Atchison Landed Flight 5390 at Southampton. Oh my god! In what Nigel Ogden would later call what's known as a greaser, a perfectly smooth landing, like not a bump, just a nice even landing. Oh, because no if he had made another bump, he might have. That might have been the death blow. <laughs> so he landed at 8:55 a.m. local time. Managed to stop with a full quarter of the runway still lying ahead of nice. him. That's some fucking, that's some, that's some expert flying right there. The landing had <laughs> you, you been... You think you've been stressed. Yeah. The landing had been so smooth and so little damage had been done to the plane, aside from the obvious, the windshield, the damage caused to the interior by the decompression, that they didn't have to deploy any emergency slides. They literally... They just got off? They, no, they rolled up the, one of those little staircases. Oh, right. And everybody filed out it in an orderly fashion. It would have been perfect if it was the Bluth company. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, stair, yeah. the car staircase. That would have been the that would have that would have been the best case scenario for everybody involved. That's hilarious. <laughs> this is almost it oh almost God. part this of could this be a, a sitcom. No, well part of it like like they did two airplane movies. The first one's hilarious. Yeah. The second one is eh. Mm-hmm. But like that's as far as satire could go. And then nine years later, you can't reality out satirized the right. satire. Yes, it's been like the Trump presidency. Like the Onion is in trouble right? because <laughs> they can't. Out they, they can't. Trump. Yeah, they can't think of the weirdest thing possible because it's already happened. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? So they literally, like, everyone just left in an orderly just fashion. Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a, like, imagine if you had self, like, taking a picture of, like, okay. slump, nobody slumped over the side <laughs> of the plane. So. This guy! <laughs> this guy! <laughs> Oh, sorry. (laughs) You know. (laughs) If this had happened in 2020, that there'd be somebody with a selfie and his like half limp head like in the in the background. 2020, am I right? (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. And you know what? Another reason that person might have been me. Another reason it feels okay to laugh at this is this was 30 years ago, too. We're a little removed from this. So, after 18 minutes of being slammed against a plane at a shockingly high altitude. Of hanging out of a plane. Like, he's not a stuntman. No. Like, he's just just some dude. He's a pilot. He's a 42-year-old pilot. He he did not sign up for this shit. No, he didn't. I want to see Arnold pull this one off in 1990. Come on. (laughs) Poor Tim was assisted by paramedics. Much to the rest of the crew's shock, he was not only alive, but despite the terrifying sight of his eyes being wide open, he had been unconscious for most of the ordeal. Good. He would later recall that early on, like right after he was sucked out of the cockpit, and this shows such a presence of mind, he forced himself to concentrate on breathing. Ah, so he was able to concentrate on breathing until nature took over and he lost consciousness but he did eventually regain his consciousness after the landing before being taken to the hospital rescue workers took poor tim to southampton general hospital where he was treated he had broken his right arm and wrist sure as well as his left thumb and suffered bruising and frostbite and shock understandably i'm surprised that's all it was to everyone's surprise he not only survived, but fully recovered. Jesus. And let's find, let's show let's see Tim. Pictures. Well, you saw Tim. No, saw oh, Tim I thought you were going to show His nice picture. Oh, my God. This is him. He's kind of cheery with some of the crew. He's very red. Very frostbitten. Well, yeah, you would be too. <laughs> yes, I would be. Are you ready for this? Sure. So I'm going to show you a picture of what the cockpit of the plane looks like from the outside that's tim's blood just oh in my case, god yeah i kind of figured that you gotta be shitting me oh my god his head was banging that <laughs> yeah, just right against those so first he was like right against right there. against those rivets then he was flung there like this those is, rivets those this rivets is steel yeah then those rivets stick out like they're not yeah. <laughs> what the fuck or maybe they don't. They probably don't. I'm sure. I hope they're flush regardless, with the plane. But even regardless. so, regardless. So the rest of those on board were all examined for injuries. The only other injuries were to Nigel. You remember he said he felt like his arms were being pulled out. Yeah, he, he dislocated a shoulder. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. He had gotten bruised and he did suffer some minor frostbite, but he was treated for all those injuries. So, the investigation. <laughs> This will be short and sweet, I hope. In spite of the amazingly miraculous outcome, obviously, an investigation was launched. 
as there were some big questions to be asked. Specifically, why how, the how, hell did the pilot's side how did, windshield... How did, we, how did we lose a window? ...blast out of its frame, causing the full litany of extraordinary events to follow? Lucky for the investigators, they were able to recover the ill-fated windscreen. They found the windshield. Are you serious? It was found in Chosley, Oxfordshire, about halfway between Birmingham and South No Arabic. shit. It just fell out of the sky and landed like in somebody's farm. And somebody reported it. And they're yep. like, hey, there's a like, so windshield. I heard this thing about a windshield. And I just want to let you know. <laughs> I, found I found one. one. <laughs> <laughs> so along with the screen, they found 11 bolts that had remained within the windshield and 18 loose bolts nearby. Oh, they found some of the bolts that were separated from the windshield. It's amazing. And then there were a few that were also like still affixed to the um, plane itself. One additional... Oh, sorry. Just one additional bolt had remained in, in the frame. Now, of course, <laughs> let's get back to Gomer Wilkins. <laughs> yes, let's. Now, do you see how this name is I do. appropriate? Yes. And the overnight shift of June 9th. So, when our friend Gomer was working on replacing that windscreen, as you'll recall, he had to look in a dimly lit area of the maintenance facility to look for the A21170 bolts he needed without his reading glasses to read any labels. As a result, he decided to match the bolts by comparing them visually instead of identifying them by label. And probably is what is zero surprise to anybody at this point in the story... Gomer did not correctly identify those bolts. Guessing he didn't. He had instead grabbed A2118C bolts. The difference between these two bolts, the one he was looking for and the one he got, was that they were 0.66 millimeters smaller in diameter. Hey, sometimes that's all it takes. I mean, by fucking eye, that's not bad. But it's not It's, not, cor- it's not correct either. <laughs> exactly. But here's the thing. In addition to the incorrect A2118C bolts they found, so it was clear, okay, Gomer, you, 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 you matched the wrong, to the wrong bolts. Investigators discovered another interesting fact. They recovered the six original A21170D bolts that Gomer had decided to just reuse, right, because they hadn't been corroded. But here's the problem. This windscreen on this plane was supposed to be affixed using a two eleven eight D bolt bolts. Neither so he, type. So he got it all it, wrong. It wasn't the original type, yeah. and it wasn't his type. The old windshield that Gomer replaced on the night of June 9th had been installed four years prior, before British Airways ever got a hold of that plane. Presumably, whomever had replaced the windscreen at that point had made the same mistake Gomer did. Oh. Visually identifying the bolts and matching them incorrectly. <sighs> These original A two eleven seven D bolts were the right diameter, but were around two and a half millimeters too short. And as a result, none of the screws affixing the windscreen to that GBJRT when it took off on June 10th were the correct size. Not a fucking one Not a single one was correct. And what happens at 17,000 feet? Oh, you lose a window. See, I, I don't want to be thinking about these things the next time get, I get on a fucking plane. Like, did they use the right size bolts May in the please window? please talk to your shift maintenance manager. <laughs> yes. I know he's around here somewhere. <laughs> Him and his crew of three people. So had Gomer been following the correct procedures, he would have 
manually looked up the correct size of the bolt and not relied on just looking at the ones that were already in place. He would have discovered that those were the wrong bolts in the first place. Further, given his experience, Gomer should have been able to tell that the bolts that he picked that were wrong weren't quite fitting right, right? Correct. Uh, Because they were a little too, too narrow. But remember that he was using a lift that was making it awkward for him to get. He chalked any difficulty in installation up to the odd angle. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Add to that the fact that Gomer was the only supervisor on duty and therefore no one was using the wrong. uh, uh, And therefore no one (laughs) inspected his work. And Bob's your uncle. I literally wrote (laughs) Bob's your uncle. Okay. The stress put on the incorrectly sized bolts under the pressure of the high altitude led to their failure, being ripped from their holes, and left poor Tim quite literally high and dry. And frozen. Frostbitten. Yes. So the UK's Air Accident Investigation Branch, the AAIB, found the following factors to have contributed to the loss of the windshield. Uh, that One is that was... The wrong size bolts? Well, that was... Well, no, 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 that's... Oh. That's known. That we're talking okay. about how, what led to that happening. Okay. Um, so one of the things that they found was what was known as a safety critical task or vital point. In other words, like something that could go really fucking wrong, like replacing this windscreen, was done completely by one person. There was no second set of eyes. There was no supervisor. There was nothing. It yeah, was just not, one person. It all relied again. on one person. Yeah. That's just a terrible idea. Further, it wasn't even tested. The test was the plane going up in the air. There wasn't a pressure test, (sighs) nothing. Another factor was that despite being well-liked and respected, Gomer Wilkins uh, had basically thought that he knew better than SOP and was getting cocky about his abilities. He felt himself experienced enough to go off script in replacing the windscreen. It was also revealed that his commendations, remember I said he got commendations Mm -hmm. from British Airways? Weren't for his thoroughness or safety record, but for his efficiency, Mm. which does not necessarily speak to the quality of the work done over his career. It should, but it doesn't always. Well, there was a culture that was rewarding what they called getting the job done. Mm -hmm. And they were tacitly approving at British Airways Birmingham, tacitly approving of cutting procedural corners if it helped them stay on schedule. Mm Mm-hmm. And then finally, they found that Birmingham managers for British Airways did not adequately monitor the quality of working practices of their shift maintenance managers. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. The AAIB made several safety recommendations, including the obvious better oversight of shift maintenance managers for British Airways. So, because it hadn't, this is our little epilogue, because it hadn't sustained catastrophic damage, uh, GBJRT was repaired. And put back into service for British Airways until it was sold in 1993 to Jaro, or Jaro maybe, International, a charter airline, where it remained in service until Jaro went out of business in 2001, after which it was scrapped. Nigel Ogden, the first flight attendant who grabbed onto poor Tim, Tim's waist, mm-hmm. uh, he was awarded, along with Sue Prince, uh, who was later known as Sue Gibbons, she got married, and Alistair Atchison, they were awarded the Queen's Commendation for Valuable Service in the Air, an honor typically given to Royal Air Force service members. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Very yep. nice. Uh, uh, deservedly so. Yes. 
Nigel went back to work as a flight attendant, but decided to retire early in 2011 due to suffering from PTSD. Yeah. Because none of that was cool to go through. He still was in that business for another 21 years after this. 10 or 11. Yeah. 1990 to 2001. You said 20. Oh, I thought you said 2011. Did I say 2011? You did. <laughs> did I just say yes. it like three times? Yes, and you did. I'm reading 2001. Okay. I meant 2001. Okay. So, <laughs> well, still, another 11 years. That's still, it's a long time to so, stick around. So, he left uh, left the airline industry and became a night watchman at a hospital, which hopefully was so uneventful for him and just nice and easy. And I'm guessing the events of 9-11, which may or may oh, not have geez. happened before or after retired, he retired, yeah. Oof. Uh, didn't help the, mm-hmm. the PTSD. Yeah. So as much as we were laughing because we knew everything turned out okay, I mean, this shit has lasting effect on uh, effects yeah. on people. It's gonna have a lasting horrible. effect on me. <laughs> right? Just the next time I get into I a plane, know. like can I'm just uh checking on those windows. Can I, can I talk with the shift maintenance <laughs> manager, please? So What size rivet is that? <laughs> is that an is that eight, SOP? Is can that I, a can tw- I see Can I see the SOP, please? Yeah. Thank you. Poor Tim Lancaster not only recovered, but he returned to work as a pilot less than five months (laughs) after being sucked out of a plane Uh. windshield and being beaten against the aircraft at high altitudes and speeds. That's okay. He can can. chew the research. This is a little reunion of the three male flight attendants and Captain Tim. Yes. Of Jesse. Okay. That's enough chewing. Very nice. You can. He looks a little beleaguered. Gotta say. No, maybe they just didn't, you know. Well, I don't, I'm not blaming him, trust me. (laughs) Yeah. I would look beleaguered for the rest of my life. So, Still uh, doing his thing, though. Tim worked for British Airways until 2003, at which point he flew for EasyJet for another five years before retiring. Um, As for Alistair Atchison, well, I suppose the worst had kind of already happened to him. So he just, he... Went back to work pretty soon. He's just like, I can handle anything. But he did not go back with British Airways. Yeah. He instead opted to work for airline Jet2.com. He flew his last commercial flight on his 65th birthday, oh. June 28th, 2015, from Alicante, Spain to Manchester. Okay. Not my friends. This is the story of British Airways flight 5390. Wow. So. What a fucking... <laughs> Let me tell you about my Crazy main sources because now it'll make a little more sense. A little bit of week, week, Wikipedia. 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 But um, there was my pri- I had three primary sources. One was a, me- a medium.com uh, blogger who goes by Admiral Cloudberg. <laughs> sure. The actual air accidents investigative branch report. The AAIB. The AAIB. And then an article written by Nigel Ogden, the flight attendant, um, in the Sydney Morning Herald. And the title of this article was, This is Your Captain Screaming. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of doubt he titled that. It was probably the Sydney Morning Herald, but... It's a good title. (laughs) This is Your Captain Screaming. It fits. Oh my God. So even... We're not the only ones to find some measure of humor in this horrible story. Oh, my God. Well, I mean... Do you see how it mimics Helios? Yes, I do. There was a maintenance issue that Mm -hmm. caused the whole problem. 
and it was it came down to kind of one person. It did. And then it was a decompression Well, not, not necessarily to one. It came down to the whole crew. It really did. In in Helios, yeah. That's, well, the two <clears throat> No, in, in both. Well, in, in this episode, it came down to the whole crew. Well, saving Somebody, Tim, yes. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. that took yeah. three people. Yeah. Took the one person to get it to get them off of them and mm-hmm. get control of the planet, and then it took the one person to calm everybody down. Mm-hmm. Like, we are going to be making an emergency landing. <laughs> Hi, Yay. ladies and gents. So, <laughs> which is what? Hello, friends. Which is literally she wasn't lying, and it was the best possible outcome. Right. It's, so we're going to prepare for an emergency landing right now. Yes. Yeah. Maybe or maybe maybe or maybe not. We'll see the blue th- uh, stair <laughs> staircase. Will it be slides or driver? will it be stairs? Yes. Let's find out. Everybody write an A or B on your... <laughs> Let's play Why? a game. If you... I spy with my little eye. <laughs> if you're not vomiting through your oxygen mask right now, which is what I would be doing. There are a ton of details that I left out of this, I'll too. Bet. Including... I mean, that... the passengers point of view must have been fucking horrific because they're literally going down. Yes. Yes. And that cannot be fun. Jesse. Oh, he made it all this way. Jesse. He has to chew the records now. We're almost done, buddy. Um, so, yeah, I, but I just thought that that was... That's a bonkers fucking... That's like you can't no, make it's a, it this it's shit a fucking, up story. I'm sure that something like this has been pitched in like a <laughs> in like a Universal Picture Studio in 1988. They're like, mm-hmm. "What can we get Sylvester Stallone to do next?" Hey. I I know he can fly out of the front of the plane, somewhat still hang on, make a full recovery. But in the movie, it'd be like he comes back and flies the plane. Like <laughs> right. that would have been the only and lands it safely. Well, it's very but then Air people, Force One. Well, right? then people were like, "This is stupid. Like yeah, that could this, never this happen. Would never happen." Yeah. It's very Air Force One, the get off my plane, yeah, the back of the plane. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, a lot of people got killed in that movie, too. Nobody gets killed in this at no, all. They all Nothing. lived. They all lived. My, you know, some PTSD here and there, but that's Oof. to be expected. Uh, yeah. This, yeah. I, I think we needed this episode. <laughs> Something to lighten things up in time for Thanksgiving? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so happy Thanksgiving to those listeners in the States who celebrate. Yes. Um, and for our Canadian friends who are... <laughs> they it, are they already celebrated. It's in October, I yeah, think. Yeah, at the end of October. I think it's what is still unfortunately called Columbus Day in the U.S., I think is there. Something like that. I, I should know better, but I paid more attention to the American Thanksgiving. But where are all the <laughs> Yeah. But either way, we we hope everybody does have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Please stay home with your whoever is in your immediate household living with you. Like don't don't go anywhere. If it is fees- and don't have people. If it is over. financially responsible, just get on GoPuff or one of those sites, order a bunch of beer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> eat a lot and watch football all day. Yeah, that works. With like the six or seven people that you are generally around. Or whatever your current quarantine yeah. situation yeah. is. Your bubble, your pod, yeah. whatever, your your family, whatever you're doing. Like, we can hang out with my sister and her family well, because we're around we're each other the all pod, the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, don't get together with a whole bunch of people. It's so not worth it. It's so not worth it. And um, 
And it has nothing to do, I, I feel like I have to stress this, it has nothing to do, yes, the effects of COVID for some, obviously for a lot of people, have been fatal. For a lot of people, it's nothing. But the whole point of it is, the social distancing and the masks, mm-hmm. the whole point of it is, is not to overwhelm yep. our failed healthcare system. Yes. That's the point. Yep. Because people are still uh, being treated and dying of regular things like car accidents and heart attacks and, and you know, things like that. And on Thanksgiving Day, there's going to be thousands of people having to work in those critical care units, taking care of people who got sick because, because they were this just stupid under control. No, yeah. no, not be- I'm, I'm not going to call vic- victims of this. I'm stupid. talking. I'm, saying- I'm talking about the people who intentionally like I'm not wearing a mask. That's. Well, be, that's kind of who I'm talking about. Unfortunately, it's because a lot of things have failed in our country. That not is true. the least of which is our government has failed its people um, in this. And that's the biggest thing. And the fuck face who's going to be out in two months is like the biggest dick of them all, with the tiniest dick, I'm sure. <laughs> because clearly he's trying to compensate for something. No, he's trying to compensate for the fact that. Daddy Fred Trump didn't like him. Never could get his love and affection. That's true. That's what it all comes that's down also to. A, that's also a song by Nelson. The band Nelson. Love and affection. Oh. Look that one up. Okay. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting squirrely because Jesse's eating the records. Yeah, we should probably just end it. Okay. <laughs> Went off on a couple of tangents. But that's par for the course for the most annoying person of all time, right, Jesse? So that was British Airways Flight 5390. Thanksgiving Miracle Show. Our Thanksgiving Miracle Show. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. We're thankful for you. Let's go Buffalo. (laughs) 